Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. I am here with Scott Moore from Gitcoin. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat about DAOs and maybe dive a little bit into public goods. I know we have a bunch of interesting things to cover. Before we go there, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you felt on the crypto rabbit hole, and, and what you're working on and thinking about? Definitely. I'll try and give the short version of the crypto rabbit hole story. That's a long history. I, I've been in the space since 2015-16, uh, mostly focused on the idea of kind of DAOs to start, actually. And in 2015-16, the idea of DAOs was like much newer. There's actually this really interesting like 2014 post on the Ethereum Foundation blog on decentralized autonomous companies, like when that was the big thing. But yeah, I kind of got into the space. Um, I'm in Toronto and a lot of the sort of meetups around Ethereum were in Toronto. And at the time I was just working, doing a lot of boring finance machine learning stuff. And I started this idea actually during a hackathon, hack ether camp called Venture Equity Exchange alongside another friend of mine. And we were thinking about what would it look like to have equity shared across different founders of different companies and to give them the ability to structure these organizations as DAOs with their own bylaws, with their own sort of configurable structures. And that was really like an interesting experiment. It was very scaffolded together. Like it was very much an early experiment and uh, it was my first foray into the ecosystem. So we wound that down when the DAO hack happened, unrelated, but that was a time where people stopped thinking about DAOs uh, for probably a, a good year or so, I think, until really it picked back up again with Aragon. And then I just sort of started diving into more experiments in the space, started participating in different token communities at the time, and eventually came up with an idea around tying DAOs back to traditionally native structures to the internet, GitHub repos. And that was actually this idea called Git Token, which morphed into Gitcoin over time with Kevin. And that idea was really focused on figuring out ways to fund open source maintainers in particular. And that was really how I ended up at Gitcoin. And that's the shortest probably version I can give. There's lots of uh, <laughs> kind of, it, it's so interesting to think about the history of the space and the way things have evolved, but it's been an awesome ride. Yeah, boy, things have evolved quite a bit. And DAOs, it feels like, are now really picking up steam in a huge way. I know with Gitcoin transitioning to this DAO model, you've thought a lot about some of these really interesting pieces around coordination and relationships within DAOs, which I definitely want to dive into. But I'm curious before that, has there been anything that was sort of like an unexpected learning from this transition to a DAO model for Gitcoin? It's been a wild journey in particular because our DAO launched in conjunction with a kind of unique event. I think a lot of people in the community have heard a bit about it, but in short, there's this history of Vitalik getting donated random tokens, often by projects that he doesn't really know or have affiliation with. And uh, there were a few projects that donated a large percentage of their supply to him. One of them was Sheeb and one of them was Akita. And 
these were just different dog tokens. I can't really even call them Doge coins, but really Vitalik's, I guess, motivation was people keep giving me these tokens. I need to figure out a way to better deal with the situation before it gets out of control. So he started giving them to charitable causes he cared about. And, and one of those was us in the case of Akito. And that was really good in the sense that you know it was a very kind gesture of him to show support in that way. But it was very challenging in the sense that we had about 50% of their supply and we got into this unwittingly into this coordination game with the Akita community and a relatively new uh, DAO community, which DAOs, I think, are, are many things, but they are not fast, especially at scale coordination tools. They're very much deliberative bodies and they provide checks and balances and they provide a way for people to coordinate more freely and flexibly, and especially with our model, which is much more of a sort of democratic representative approach in which people delegated their tokens to a series of stewards. And so as those stewards started to get to know each other, started to figure out what they wanted to see from the DAO, they started to figure out what to do in terms of coordinating on these Akita tokens. And there's generally a lot of concern about meme tokens of sorts, especially among people who are more on the core infrastructure side of the ecosystem. And so the original idea was, well, we should just get rid of these tokens in a way that maximizes the value for public goods. But eventually what people realized is you're in this coordination game, this prisoner's dilemma, in which if you both decide to try to sell off these tokens as fast as you can, everyone basically loses. And there's a much better path forward if you both figure out ways to cooperate and partner together. And so that's eventually what the stewards realized and pushed towards as a way to ensure that public goods were getting the most value possible, which was ultimately Vitalik's goal with the distribution in the first place. And so that was a very, very complicated first uh, sort of tutorial island of sorts for the DAO, but it gave us a really good scaffolding for how governance should function and roughly what the scope of some of the functions of the DAO might look like down the road. And so now we have four work streams that have emerged. We've ratified a few rounds of Gitcoin grants, which was the original point of the of the governance was to give away control over what was previously sort of ostensibly a decentralized grants mechanism, but now I think can in many ways be called truly decentralized as a grants mechanism. So we're still figuring it out. There's still a lot to do, but it's been awesome just to see this process of organic coordination, especially not just with stewards themselves and with other members of the DAO themselves, but also with these sort of inter-DAO relationships, which I think is a whole other thing to get into, but I think will eventually be very important parts of how the space eventually evolves. Yeah, I think the inter-DAO relationship concept is super, super interesting. Can you talk more about how you've seen that evolve and what that looks like right now within Gitcoin? The the earliest thing really, and, and the only thing right now is that Akita situation. And that's because we're still probably just over a month from the initial launch. So the future of what we want to do though, is create a kind of DAO of DAOs in which we are not just funding our own tools. We're also funding other tools that the ecosystem relies on. And we're also finding ways to work with DAOs that want to see this sort of public goods model propagated into the world. This is actually something that I think Toby from Other Internet and others have talked a lot about is we don't think a lot about our values in the space in as deep a way, or at least I think we've started to in the last maybe six to 12 months. But historically, there's been a lot of technical discussion, but not a lot of discussion about 
what do we really want to do socially with this tech? And so what we're kind of, to some degree, like challenging other projects to think about is what things do you consider public goods? What sort of things do you want to propagate out into the world through this technology? And so one of the ways we want to leverage, I think, down to that relationships is by giving people the ability to actually start executing on those values and to start like articulating those values more clearly as well. So I think we've yet to see exactly what the structure of these sorts of like agreements between DAOs will look like. But I do know there's been conversations between stewards and members of other DAOs around what these sorts of partnerships might look like that kind of both help inform the values of various projects, but also help those projects to act according to those values. Yeah, I think this notion of public goods and being aligned with this sort of moral value almost is like incredibly interesting. I listened to your Forefront hangout and I I think there were some really interesting points that you touched on and explored around the social obligation to fund public goods. I'm curious how you see that evolving. Like I use certain software, maybe there's a world in which I have the social obligation to support that open source software. Like, do you think that's a world that we'll live in? I I certainly hope is a world that we will live in. And I'm increasingly optimistic about it, given what we're doing in Web3. I I think it's easy to be cynical about many things in Web3, but I think the thing that is clear is that one, everything is open source by default. There's actually a lot of very strong social norms that work against people if they decide not to open source their, their technology and what they're working on. And I think that increasingly what you're seeing is that people are recognizing that When you have this sort of shared currency in addition to shared values, shared culture, you create a world in which even those people who are very self-interested are willing to go back and fund. And and I wouldn't say, by the way, most of the community fits that bucket, but actually Matt Stevenson and I wrote a kind of interesting piece on this just as a side tangent. And this is based on other historical work. But one of the interesting things to note is, you know, if you take a bunch of people at a concert, you have a sort of experiment where say there's a hundred people, you will find that maybe 10% of those people never stand up to try and get a better view. But if other people start to stand up, you do get this cascading effect in which more and more people stand up, except for maybe that small percentage. And if you reset the game, you kind of end up back at the start, like people go back to sitting. And, And so there's two learnings from this. And I think the shared currency aspect is really relevant for both of them. One, having the ability to reset games is really important. And constantly as we make it easier and easier to create new organizations and create new ways to coordinate, we constantly handle that resetting through the creation of these new structures and these new models, um, whether that's within existing DAOs that reorganize themselves. I know even Toby was talking recently on Twitter about reorganizing Discord chats, reorganizing sort of threads and that being a process of renewal, but then also figuring out ways to incentivize that smaller percentage, that more self-interested group to give back to public goods um, when they otherwise wouldn't. And so that's something that in addition just to social norms has really changed the game for open source software funding, at least when it comes to Web3 open source. And I think increasingly we're seeing that it's possible to extend that interest to other Web2 technologies. So we had Babel in the previous Grants Round 10 round. Uh, We had 
tour as well. And people are still more reluctant, I think, relative to things that they use and tangibly see to fund those pieces of tech. But it's certainly increased over like when we started, like round one and two and three. And that's just been really heartening to see. And so it does feel like there's a huge shift. Vitalik's post on legitimacy, I think, is a really good call to action for us to think. And one of the things along with Toby's piece that's motivated us to think more about how we better articulate those social norms and structure those social norms. But I think even organically and, and through what we've been doing, those social norms have certainly evolved to a point where we're much better off than we were with Web2. Breaking it down in that way with the concert example is incredibly interesting. I hope that we move towards that world. Something that Brian Flynn said when he was on this podcast was, let's say that there's like a decentralized dating app, for example, one of your sort of values in the same way that you're like vegetarian or you only eat organic will be that you use open source software, which I thought was super interesting. This element of using and supporting open source software is really potentially like becoming something that really does manifest in our social fabric, which is like mind blowing to me. And I think in Web3, we're seeing that and I, I hope that it moves over to Web2 as well. But some of these pieces around like how people interact in different groups lead into this very interesting rabbit hole of DAOs and how people organize within DAOs. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you've been thinking about Dunbar's number and, and how some of that relates to DAOs? Definitely. And I definitely agree with Brian on that point. Like that really resonates. That's actually a much more succinct way of, of putting what I was mentioning into the world is we have these ideas that come up in our regular daily lives, whether it's your dietary habits or fashion, like things that come up around what it means to be in a group. And certainly in Web3, being in the group is partly related to doing things like funding open source software and, and that sort of thing. On Dunbar's number, so one thing I didn't mention in the story about Akita I kind of alluded to is we have a very large community already. And we've historically been a kind of Web 2.5 platform in the sense that we have a lot of Web3 tech built in, but we're very much operated as a traditional company, which is a nice thing to slowly move away from. But one of the things that's been able to allow us to do is build up a really large community of developers over the last four years now. And one of the downsides of that, to your point, is that it's a lot of people to coordinate. And so stewardship, this model of allowing people to delegate to a certain number of engaged folks in the ecosystem was really helpful in distilling down the group of people that are participating to only those folks, or maybe not only, but um, majority of those folks who actually have context and shared interest in and time for governing this platform. And the major challenge is just like when you scale past 150 or so people, you run into this problem, which I think a lot of people listening probably know around Dunbar's number, in which you effectively find that people can't really share those social relationships anymore. They can't really coordinate with each other in the same way. They can't share empathy in the same way. And so you get like a decreasing ability for people to think clearly about what they're trying to do because they lack this common knowledge or this shared context with others. So the, I think, solution to that is ultimately going to be that you have either very, very structured executive bodies that do keep that sort of function and that shared knowledge. And Uniswap Grants is an example of this. And I think that's actually been a really good example of a way to give a sort of executive authority to a DAO in a way that still allows the DAO to really think about what it's trying to accomplish and to put some level of accountability in, in place. 
And that's sort of similar to what we're trying to do with work streams around having these smaller groups form and keep that context amongst at least work group leads and members. And this actually is, it's interesting. I, it's not my area of expertise, but it, it, this actually happened even like with Metacartel, like where Metacartel started as a smaller organization, it grew to, you know, relatively large size. And then you started getting groups that went off to do their own structured parts of what Metacartel previously housed as part of almost the Metacartel ecosystem, like Raid Guild emerged from that, Fire Eyes emerged from that. There were all these smaller groups that emerged in that way. And I think increasingly you'll see that whether it's within existing frameworks that DAOs have created, like work streams or grants programs like Uniswap grants, or whether it's through this fragmentation of ecosystems into these smaller groups that still share that same culture, that same set of ideas and values, I think you're going to start to see smaller and smaller organizations emerge. And people often say that starting a business or starting an organization should be as easy as starting a group chat. And I think that this is the natural way that we get there. And it actually organically becomes a natural part of a life cycle of these organizations that new group chats and new structures emerge from the existing ecosystems and cultures that have been formed. And so, yeah, that's like where we've gotten with RDAO. There's a lot of other relevant context around consensus-driven systems versus voting specific systems and like the level of formality you need for bigger or smaller groups. But I'll pause there just because I know that's already already a really long answer. No, I think it's such a good one. And it's definitely going to be interesting to watch different DAOs explore the size of these groups and what it looks like to have shared context. But I totally agree that smaller groups are the most effective unit to get people to actually work together and get things done. I definitely want to dive into this concept of consensus-based versus governance-based decision-making. It's something that as I get more involved with DAOs, I'm thinking more and more about. And so I'm super interested to hear how you've been thinking about this. It, it really does tie back into the Dunbar's number point. And I would actually credit Andy Tadahope as the person who I think has done a much better job thinking about this. And his piece in Kernel actually is really the reference point for me in thinking about this idea. And I haven't actually explained what Kernel is, which I should. So Kernel is one part of the Gitcoin ecosystem. It's a fellowship around getting people involved in Web3, giving people a sense of, again, some of that shared culture, context, and then giving them as a place to explore projects, explore values that they want to see in Web3 to the point earlier. And that sort of leads them down this rabbit hole with another group of about 250 people exploring and, and building. And we've seen through the last three cohorts, 40 or 50 companies emerge from there. But what Andy has done particularly well with that, along with Vivek, is he's a very good writer. He's very read on like a lot of philosophy and, and religious texts. And the vision of the piece in particular that I'm thinking of that he's written as part of the syllabus is that you have these organizations like the IETF that don't vote in any meaningful way. They don't have a, a formal board. They don't have a formal process for tallying people's opinions on ways to move forward as an organization. Instead, what they do is they almost think about consensus by humming. And, and, and it's kind of a nice analogy, but the idea is that you know if you sense this level of agreement among the group, then all you really need to do is look for objections and you can set aside a period to look for objections. And if there aren't any, then you can continue humming and continue moving forward. 
And that's what these executive bodies and DAOs can do much better than the token voting based structures. And it's actually one of their like core reasons, along with Dunbar's number, that you need these different types of structures within DAOs. But the overall piece itself, like the vision is that you can actually get by, especially when you're below Dunbar's number, but like potentially even beyond that is one of the arguments that Andy and the ETF for that matter make. You can eventually get by without voting at all. And I think that that gets trickier the more and more you grow. And it's certainly good scaffolding to have formal voting, but that's really the beauty of these smaller groups and these smaller structures is this consensus by humming model. I can maybe link at some point afterwards, the IETF writing on this versus those formal voting models. And those are very good in other ways in the same way that democracy is good. Like democracy can be sometimes a lot of work, but it is the least bad system we have where people (laughs) at scale can still participate and still feel like they have a say in things. And That's also really important, I think. So I don't know if that really fully answers the question. (laughs) There's a lot to dive into there. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Some elements of this, I think, come up with what's happened recently with some of Uniswap's governance. I've heard this sort of notion of even in systems with more formal governance, it might still be a good rule of thumb to make sure that all objections to something are addressed properly like even if you do have formal voting, which I know is something that sort of came up in questions around the DeFi education fund most recently with Uniswap, I'm totally addressing like two different points all over the place. But there's that. And then the other piece that this sort of reminds me of is something that I like realized recently, or at least a current hypothesis that I have is that you're much better off in a lot of DAOs keeping up momentum and just getting feedback from people than not doing anything at all. Because inaction by trying to gather consensus is like, the worst thing I think that can happen. I think what I'm seeing at least, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but what I'm seeing is that it actually is better to take action and just optimize for feedback because it's too easy to try to get consensus on things and then actually don't do anything because consensus is hard to get. I I definitely think there's a tough balance between those things. You certainly don't want to have a large period of inaction or in which People feel like, yeah, to your point, there's not that momentum. And and it's easier to keep the momentum, I think, even when there are lulls. It, it goes back to values again, like thinking through what the core mission is. I don't know if we've like formally articulated this as well as we could with Gitcoin, but we're really trying to emphasize that our mission is to fund digital public goods and to push forward our thinking as an ecosystem around public goods. And I feel like fortunately, a lot of people in the space, res- like that mission resonates with them. And even the Akita vote was a lot and... There was a period at which after that was passed, things sort of calmed down for a bit. People had a break. But then when Grants Round 10 came around, they were still very willing to jump in and get involved on that front as well. So I think it's certainly important to keep momentum, but it's also important to, to your point, make sure any objections are addressed before something goes to vote. The second worst thing that can happen is voter apathy. But the worst thing that can happen is that a governance process becomes viewed as illegitimate because then it's the same as having no governance process at all. And so I think from our perspective, we're trying to take the approach of, and actually Simona Pop just put up sort of a, a rough set of guidelines around like, what is the governance process? Because one of the things the Ikea vote surfaced was, hey, there are a lot of edge cases that can emerge when like 
these really crazy situations happen that no one <laughs> considered. But making sure that process is in place, I think is still still really important. I think eventually, and going back to some of Andy's points, we'll get better at creating high trust systems within DAOs. We'll get better at creating these work streams, creating these executive bodies like the, the grants committee that Ken or John Palmer or others are part of. Like that sort of is to me the way that we get around this gap and make sure that there's still momentum, but also that there's still legitimacy. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I think these executive bodies or working groups or whatever we want to call them that can be trusted to execute on very specific overarching goals within a DAO is a really big and important aspect of trying to balance these two things. So I think that's a really good point. You touched on this idea of voter apathy, and I've actually been thinking a lot about apathy in the context of DAOs and actually in relation to Dunbar's number where as the number of people in a given community or network grows, each individual has much less of a reason to act in ways that are good for the group or even care about what's going on because this sense of intimacy with other people in the group declines as the group gets larger. I'm curious how you think about something like apathy from a participation perspective. Yeah, and I think, again, yeah, it does kind of come back to Dunbar's number. And it, it varies across ecosystems. There's almost a series of like checkboxes you want to meet around, you know, how value aligned is this community and like how trustful is this community? How much do the, do the key players in the community know each other and understand each other's perspectives on pretty much anything that the DAO might like try and resolve? and how like active and committed from a time perspective are people to the DAO in Gitcoin and like in, in other larger, like almost protocol style DAOs, there is this sort of standard model, which is just the work streams stuff and, and all the things I mentioned, but in DAOs like Seed Club, for example, or Pleaser DAO, there's varying levels of formality. And I, I think again, because of that high trust, small group size, at least relative to these really massive communities, I think it works much more smoothly and you get just a lot more informal processes that like sometimes take the form of voting. Like for a while, Pleaser DAO's voting system was just straight up telegram polls. Like that worked alongside a multi-sig. It didn't need anything more complicated than that. And C Club similarly started very, very low lift. It started with just the idea of let's try and get projects that care about the creator economy to come together and to think about these problems. And that mission was very good at creating high trust between people. And also, I think, created this sort of like smaller group and cohort-based model, similar in some ways to Kernel, where people could feel like they were achieving a mission even without going through formal votes every week or month on something. It, it didn't need that. It could just reach consensus by humming. But I think every DAO will be different. Every DAO will have different ways to address these problems. And I feel like there's some ways of addressing these problems that we haven't even really seen yet. So I'm curious, like, as more of these coordination tools come into play, how that will evolve. Yeah, something that I'm also interested in watching unfold is these function-based groups and how they interact with each other. So something that I've been thinking about is the way that the U.S. government has checks and balances among different branches. I'm super curious if that's going to be something that actually ends up showing up in DAOs among these different working groups or work streams or whatever you want to call them. 
I'm sure it will be different for different DAOs, but I'm very curious what the common denominators are going to be here. Definitely. Like the the analogy to government, I think is actually very relevant. When we think about governing a DAO, we really are talking about, I, I talked about this a bit, but like we're talking about democracies and we're talking about participatory governance and we're talking about people having a sort of civic role in the ecosystem, which is actually really interesting because that doesn't really exist in, in Web2 as a concept. You really only have your position as a stakeholder in some company and you have a hierarchy that is managed through that company. And it's not super exciting as a structure. And that's a whole nother discussion about how corporations have lost in my mind, their way and their original purpose, which was just to help people coordinate towards some like common goal. But in, in terms of how most DAOs operate, it's less like a corporation and more like a government. And I think increasingly that executive and, and legislative function will become more common. And I guess the obvious thing then would be like, you know, what does the judiciary look like in that system as well? And we've certainly had experiments around that in the space, like Claros is a good example, but I don't think anyone's really gotten that part perfect yet. I I feel like there's still a lot of ground to cover even there. And it's actually something that we'll have to think about as well in our context, just with respect to if we're going to end up defining what is or isn't a public good, then we need to be able to accept or reject those things from the platform. And that requires a whole bunch of relevant information and and judiciary capacity as well. Yeah, it's like we're tackling all of these problems that have existed for almost as long as humans have existed. So it's interesting to watch them play out and watch us figure out new solutions. I think one of the most interesting aspects here when I'm thinking about DAOs and the analogy with government is this idea of representative democracy having almost like seasons or you have these time periods where people vote for new representatives. And obviously it's different when you're delegating your votes and you can delegate them at any time. But from a human perspective, I'm curious if you think that something like Gitcoin will actually evolve to have a little bit more seasonal style governance. What do you think that looks like longer term? That's a really important question that I don't think we have a good answer to either at the moment. I think that there's been a few solutions to this in other DAOs, which is just like soft social consensus for the most part. In larger DAOs, I mean, we're just seeing this with Uniswap grants being reinstated. And I think that's been a really interesting discussion just about like, do we feel like the Uniswap grants community has done or a team has done a good job of stewarding the ecosystem? It generally feels like people feel like they have. But for us, I like I would be very interested to see more thoughts around what those kinds of like election style systems look like. And because ultimately anyone can redelegate their tokens at any time. And I think People should probably, like people should decide, is the steward that I'm assigning my tokens to really doing what I wanted to see them do? Are they like taking on the actions that I thought they would take on? And I think that's going to be increasingly important in other sort of like DAOs, especially at scale as well. I think, again, smaller systems, it's just easier to iterate on those ideas. And I think it also depends on, you know, the there's this problem that exists within existing participatory democracy, which is 
how do you ensure that you have an engaged populace and a, a sort of educated populace about what's happening? And I think, especially at scale, it's hard for anyone to keep checks and balances on everything. And I think that's going to be increasingly important to just like figure out how we distill information into its simplest possible form, which as you can tell, I still have some work to do on that. But I think that there's a need for like full-time governance participants like you would treat in, in Canada. We have sort of like an MP system, parliamentary system. And in the US, you have like a, a sort of congressman, senator-based system. In my mind, we increasingly need to think about the representatives that we have as uh, similar to that. Like one thing that the John Palmer quote was, uh, something to the effect of you don't want your protocol governed by the shower thoughts of very busy people. You want your protocol governed by people who are actively engaged and constantly distilling down that information that's coming from many different directions in a lot of cases. So in my mind, it's certainly important to have elections. It's certainly important to figure out like how those elections elect people that are are really engaged in a full-time way. But then also, I think to determine how we judge whether someone's doing a good job in those contexts. And I think that comes back again, as always come back to sort of mission and like making sure people are aligned on the goals of what a DAO is trying to accomplish. One of the things that I think is super interesting here is this notion of what does it look like for the equivalent of stewards to basically either be content creators or have content creators who like make some of this stuff more accessible or entertaining even on some level, because otherwise I think it's, incredibly challenging, especially if I hold not just Gitcoin, but I'm also holding like a bunch of other governance tokens as an average person, like it's becomes incredibly challenging to educate myself on every single decision that every single equivalent of a steward is making. So I'm super excited to see how some of that evolves and, and maybe competes for people's attention. I really love that idea of people who are governing, who are involved in this process as content creators. I mean, when you are governing a system, you are not just voting, you're also creating legislation, you're creating content. And like that in a lot of ways is like a meta content creator role, funny enough, in some of these DAOs, whether it's Pleaser DAO or C Club, where you're talking about DAOs that are focused specifically on content creators. So I think that's a really important point. And I'm excited to see the space evolve in that way. I've definitely noticed a lot more governance participants, stewards thinking that way. And it's kind of natural in Web3 already, I guess, to some extent, because everyone has a Twitter presence in general. Like there's a crypto Twitter, almost shared ecosystem comms channel, which may or may not be a good thing. But that idea becoming more formalized as we think more carefully about governance, I think is going to be really interesting. If I became a Gitcoin steward, I would I would have a TikTok account. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> telling everyone about all my decisions. I love it. I think that would be super interesting. Real quick, before I let you go, I'm starting a new segment and it is, what is your favorite thing in your wallet? That is a very tough choice uh, because there are many of these projects that I've mentioned that obviously I, I would consider in that like favorite list. I guess I should mention maybe one that's not related to any of those projects at all. And I guess the one that probably stands out the most would actually be a NFT that, so, so this is a corny answer, but like we back in sort of 20, 
2019, created this kudos system for these uh, reputational badges within the platform for people to get a sense of accomplishment and get a, a feeling that, you know, you might be a really good Python developer. You might be a really good Rust developer. And they were NFTs just very early on in that process of NFTs being standard. And I have one of the like really early versions of that kudos NFT, which has, I guess, some like significant value for me. But aside from that, I actually would need to, I, I almost need to just check what else is in my wallet and figure out like what other NFTs are valuable. Maybe one thing I could plug, which isn't related to anything that I'm personally working on, but Linda Z recently put out an Ethereum film mirror crowdfund. And that crowdfund has a infinite token associated with it. And I, I participated in that. And so I have some of that infinite token in my wallet. And I just think that's a really cool initiative because people have talked about documenting the history of the space for a while, but no one has really, to my knowledge, come out with a holistic documentary of just recapping all the major events. So I'll choose that maybe in addition just to the kudos stuff as the favorite thing in my wallet at the moment. I like it. And I think People Pleaser did the work for that, the the art for that as well, right? Yeah, for the, for the cover, which is amazing. And and for the NFTs as well, actually, which are, are super cool. And like the, yeah, the, the, the overall work that's being done on that so far, even just in its early phases has been just awesome to see. Yeah. And it's so cool that it's funded by the community too. I'm excited to see it. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Well, I guess crypto Twitter is probably the easiest way, not Scott Moore, um, not the easiest handle, should probably shorten that <laughs> at some point. And then, I mean, if you want to go to the Gitcoin Discord, that's on our site. It's on the governance forum, gov.gitcoin.co. And feel free to just send me a message there as well. I'm happy to chat about any of this stuff with the community. So just feel free to reach out. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcast day like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.